Hey everyone, welcome to the first ever two-parter of the Significant Strike Podcast. Maybe this will help it out. I don't know if it will shorten the total length of our podcast altogether, but we have a particular reason for doing a two-parter this evening. So uh, we'll jump right into that in a second, but since we're doing a two-parter, let's start where we always start. Val, why don't you give us the roundup from last week? Oh yeah, shoot, I totally forgot. Let me pull that up. Um, I'll explain first. So we're doing a two-parter because there's one fight that's clearly the best fight on this card, and it's also coincidentally where I see the most value. So we're diving in with this episode early to catch a good line on Carlos Diego Ferreira versus Gregor Gillespie. And what that but, means is y- you think that these may change significantly if we waited till our normal broadcast time, so we want to yeah, put that out now. It's already moved on some books. So, okay. So we had um, Iwan Kutalaba for one unit, which pushed. That was a draw. We had Giga Chikadze for one unit, that, and he won with a liver kick in the first, or a Giga kick, his patented Giga kick in the first round for plus .629 units. And, oh, then the other one was Pinheiro, who won by illegal upkick disqualification. Some people said she acted, she overacted, but we still won those 0.8 units to win 0.5 units. So before the main event, we were at, what, at plus 1.129 units. But then Yuri Prochazka did what he did to Dominic Reyes, bidding back elbow in a really good fight. And, yeah, so... We end at two, one, and one. Two wins, one loss, one push for plus 1.9, no, plus 0.192 units of profit. Could have been better, could have been worse. We didn't bet much on this card, but profit is profit. Exactly. We're trying to win. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, just quick recap. I thought Pinero was winning the fight up until the illegal upkick. She looked much better than Marcos. Um, Gikuchikadze looked amazing. Kudalaba gassed out. He used his judo more than he's ever used it before. Um, but he had a dominant first round. I thought that was a 10-8. Um, and then Reyes, I mean, if I, having the information I had, I still think Reyes was the right play just because he had more ways to win. He abandoned leg kicks and he only attempted one takedown. Um, he, yeah, he, Dominic Reyes needs to get his camp in order. He doesn't have like a real head coach. He just kind of trains. It just, just kind of like the way Mike Perry did with when he didn't have a camp, although I assume with, uh, more structure than that, but he kind of just trains at a gym with his brothers and some friends, it sounds like. So he needs a real head coach to get him prepared for fights like Yuri Prochaska. But anyway, on to UFC Vegas 26. Before we get on to that, I wanted to say about uh, the Pinheiro thing, the people talking about it looks like she faked it. Um, I don't really see it that way. Um, I don't know. I've seen... Lots of people knocked out, and the way her eyes were as big as silver dollars led me to believe that yeah. her clock was cleaned. And we got to keep in mind that uh, that was a pretty vicious, obvious, and I have to call it intentional, kicking a grounded opponent. Both her knees were on the ground. Generally, when we see something like that, there's you know one knee down or something. 
But yeah. she got caught in a bad spot. She was already kind of leaning back. She got kicked square on the jaw with both knees on the ground. I mean, that's the yeah. way it goes. It's the same way when we see some of the knees to the head sometimes when guys are just using that my hands down bullshit, you know? So yeah, you, well, you can Fra- say like Frankie Edgar against Corey Sandhagen out cold. Right. You, you can call it what you want, but it was a blatantly illegal strike that ended the fight. That's the only way yeah. it goes. I've also seen some takes that um, may have been because when she rolled back and hit the floor, her head hit the floor badly. You know, like she didn't have control of her neck muscles and her head bounced off the canvas. Could be the back of her head hitting the canvas that also made her so out of it. Um, and and the first thing she said was, "Did I lose?" Which that's that's a thing that a fighter who's been knocked out says. So I exactly I the same sign as you. But regardless, let's move on to this. Uh, Part one of two-parter episode for UFC Vegas 26, uh, which is now Michelle Watterson versus Marina Rodriguez um, in replacement of TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen. That fight, that main event fight was made official today. Uh, Michelle Watterson in a main event, can't say it's something I wanted. I would have preferred if this fight we're going to talk about was the main event, but at least the card's still on. Um, so let's let's dive right in. Right now, the odds are Gregor Gillespie around minus 180, minus 175. Diego Fajera around plus 155, plus 150 range. And I got to say, this really surprised me. I thought Fajera, well, I mean, you can tell where I'm going with this just from me saying this, but I thought Fajera would be a slight favorite or the fight would be at evens. I mean, they're both coming off losses, but Gillespie's was a year and a half ago. It was a brutal head kick loss against Kevin Lee. And Fajeda w- was a close decision loss. I mean, it was a clear decision, a clear loss, but it was a, still a close fight against Benil Daryush, one of the best 155ers in the world, at like top seven at, at the division, in the strongest division in the sport. Um, and he, he kept up with him. He took a round from Benil that is impressive enough in, its, in and of itself. Um... But yeah, so we're gonna die. I guess I'll start with Gregor Gillespie. He's a high level wrestler. Like, he faced, uh, Jordan Burroughs and Kyle Dakes a few times in, uh, when he was a D1 All-American and he could have been like a national champion or even gone to the Olympics, but he kept facing those elite guys, which if, if you're in the wrestling world, you know Jordan Burroughs and Kyle Dake. Um, and, Getting past them, I mean, it's a thing that almost no one has done. Um, but yeah, he eventually took that and he said, well, I'll go to MMA if I can't get to the very top level of this sport. So he came into the UFC, uh, what was he, 7-0 and back then, and he won the first three fights against absolute cans. I mean, people that had no business being in UFC, you could tell they were matchmaking him to set him up for... For, you know, a good start to his career, they saw something in him. And I, and I do see something in him. That's why he's a ranked, uh, ranked at lightweight right now, even after taking a year and a half off after a brutal head kick knockout. Um, but the first fights were easy. I mean, the first guy he knocked out in like 29 seconds on the feet, which standing isn't his specialty. So that was pretty impressive. Um, the, the next two were a sub 
in the second round and a knockout in the first round, which was ground and pound. All, all of his knockouts other than that first one were ground and pound. He doesn't have real finishing power, but he is a sharp striker, but he's a bit small and yeah, he just doesn't have real power as far as striking goes. Um, he, he uses that long rhythm that I've talked about a few times that Rose Namajunas is, of course, the best example of. Uh, so does Benil Daryush, coincidentally. Um, <clears throat> he, he has a great lead hook. That was his, that was what his first UFC KO was, though most of his time standing and striking was in that, those first couple UFC matches against Cans. He'd have to take what I have seen in his striking with the grain of salt because it was against absolute Cans people and, for anyone who doesn't know, Kansas is just like the easy to beat. Right. You're supposed to beat a can. Um, sometimes he gets sloppy with his power punches when he gets overexcited. Um, even outside and even outside of that Kevin Lee knockout, uh, I've seen him get hit with head kicks a couple of times just from guys that didn't have that same devastating power and setup that Kevin Lee had in that knockout. Uh, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen that knockout, go look it up. Just outside of betting and everything, it's one of the most exciting knockouts of the year. Uh, that was uh, late 2019. Um, his his defense in striking is the issue, main issue I have. I mean, he's like a, a relatively sharp striker, and he's pretty fast on his feet and fast with his hands. But his defense, he keeps his hands at his chin, but he doesn't use them to parry. He just kind of holds them there. So strikes that shouldn't get through get through more than they should. Um, he doesn't use head movement like he should either. Um, it, uh, like I said, head kicks get through. I've seen jabs just get right through. That and uh, head kicks will sometimes when they come up, they'll you got to block a head kick with two hands. He'll just keep both of his hands where they are, one on either side of his chin, and block the head kick with the one hand. So. Like, it's partially blocked, but the kick is still bouncing off of his head, which right. isn't great. But the main thing to discuss here is his wrestling, because that's what he's all about. He averages seven takedowns per 15 minutes, so that number is a bit high, because all of his oct- all of his uh, UFC fights, all six, have ended in finishes inside of two rounds. He has 49 minutes of octagon time accrued. Um, but he's still... He shoots with volume. He hasn't had less than four takedowns in any fight that goes past round one. His uh, power double is really great. He'll drive his opponent across the octagon, and if if they're starting to stuff it, he'll switch to a single leg and then change angles to sit him down. He's really strong in top position. That's probably his best aspect is his top game. Um, He passed the guards of those lower-level guys with ease, but they didn't even put up real resistance. The first time I saw him passing someone's guard who was more of a level that should be in UFC was Vince Pichel, who's not great, but is a decent level. Um, and he was very aggressive at passing the guard. Uh, he wasn't as successful at getting past it, getting right into mount. Like against those other three guys, he got right into mount or right on the back with ease within like a minute. Took him a little bit of work to get... He got into half guard pretty easily, but then went back and forth between half guard and side control a few times on a few different takedowns with Pichel getting up and down in the fight 
you know, moving in its pace before finally getting into mount, which uh, set up at the finish at the end of round two. Um, his ground and pound is really strong when he gets into those dominant positions. He has two knockouts with it or technical knockouts with it. Um, he does that thing that could be kind of made famous where, which is just a thing that any wrestler should do in modern UFC, which is using his legs when he's on top to elevate his opponent's legs off of the mat to keep them from shrimping or hip icing or it it limits it limits their ability to do a lot of things yeah if you don't have your legs you can't create momentum with them or do a lot of things um he flows with his opponents really well on the mat as they try to roll and cage walk and push off like someone rolls over he'll stay on their back they try to turn into his guard when he's on their back but on the bottom he'll roll with them um he, so I wrote here permission, position over submission, but I wrote that in the earlier fights. He actually does seem to be overzealous at hunting for the submission at times, but it's never actually cost him in a fight. It will be interesting to see if that does down the line. But overall, he just drains his opponents with top pressure until he finds a finish. One thing about those early finishes, which the latest was with one second left in round two, is we haven't seen his cardio over the late rounds. And cardio is a really, really strong aspect of Diego Ferreira, who I'll refer to as CDF sometimes here, um, is a really strong aspect of his game. Even though he's 36, CDF has insane cardio. He's like a zombie walking forward. Um, he has a great squeeze in submissions. You know, uh, there was one that wasn't completely under the chin, but he just squeezed until it was. And with brute strength, he was able to pull it off. Um, he tries to, when, when his opponents start to get up, he's great at grabbing their head to control them, you know, classic wrestling stuff, but he'll often lose them when he tries to spin to the back. I mean, lose them as far as they'll stand up, but he can still hold them in the clinch and then hit the takedown again if he wants to, which he often wants to right when they get up. He'll go right back in on that single or double leg. He's, he's super relentless in his pursuit of takedowns. Um, and sometimes even he, when opponents sprawl on him, he'll, he'll just shoot right through the sprawl. Like you see sprawls stuff so many takedowns, he'll just power right through it if the sprawl isn't fast enough to get right down on top of him to squash his takedown attempt. Um, in his toughest fight, his last win against Yancy Medeiros, who's, of a level, he's fought some decent guys. Uh, he, shit. <laughs> he initially wasn't able to control Yancey on the mat, but he just kept pursuing takedowns after takedown, even though Yancey kept getting up. Um, but that does show that his wrestling can be thwarted for a time by someone of that level, and uh, Fajera is unquestionably of a higher level than Yancey. Uh, especially with his BJJ. I mean, the head has a, a third degree, I believe, black belt and BJJ. Um, but eventually the cycle got Yancey tired. It, it, I think it was his first fight in a while there. And Gregor did get control eventually midway, kind of towards the end, with like two, two and a half minutes left in round two. Um, Yancey got up, was taken right back down, got flattened out, and then the ground and pound finish came with one second left. Um so finally get to the Kevin Lee fight here against Kevin Lee. He knew he was facing someone who had a caliber of wrestling to match or even exceed his own. So I believe that's why he didn't shoot right away. He tried to strike with Kevin Lee and he got his head, his 
he was blasted into another dimension. The knockout from Kevin Lee's side started with a counter right hook from Kevin that kind of snapped Gregor's head to the right, to, to Gregor's right, not to Kevin Lee's right, to Kevin Lee's left. And then Gregor made the big mistake of his hands dropping, which is one thing that shows he's not always, he's not great defensively. He tried to, when his head snapped to the right, he tried to continue slipping to that right to get out of the way of the follow-up combo, which was already coming with uh, Kevin's other hand. And right when he slipped to that right, he didn't even see it coming. The left high kick was already there, knocked him out cold. And it was brutal, absolutely brutal. Um, it's good, I believe, that he took time off after that knockout. Some guys will try to get back in there in a normal time. But after, well, especially after your first KO and after one as brutal as that, you've got to take time off and get your head straight, get your body straight, you know. Um, but overall, just Gregor's game is one of consistent takedowns, top pressure, and then hunting either the submission or the ground pound finish. If he is met, if he is forced to stand and trade with you, which we haven't seen a lot of, one time it went great for him against the can, one time against the ranked opponent, it went horribly for him. We'll see how it goes if he's forced to stand with Fajera. Um, so Dale Fajera was on a six fight win streak until he was forced to rematch with Daryush, who handed him his first loss, which I feel now is the time to mention that, uh, Diego Ferreira has only lost to t- two men in his life, Dariush by decision twice and Dustin Poirier by knockout once. Um, other than that, he has wins over Rustam Kabalov and I forget this guy's first name, Taisumov. Sec, let me check on that because he, Taisumov and Kabalov, or Meyerbeck Taisumov, they're really great Dagestan. Well, one's Dagestani, one's Chechen, but you know that shows their wrestling is of a pretty high level. Right. Um, and he, he outpointed them. I mean, he, Diego Ferreira threw 300 plus strikes in both of those fights, landed about a hundred in each. Um, because he's, he's a volume trigger. He doesn't have, you know, instant knockout power either. Um, but he's a cardio monster. He'll come forward like a zombie. He'll take anything you give him right on his chin and keep coming forward. And one advantage he has in this fight is he's coached by Saif Sayud, uh, for this MMA. So that's, I mean, Saif Sayud's one of, you know, when you talk about the best MMA coaches, he's at least top 10, if not top five in MMA ever, really. Um, let's, let's, I'm going to talk about the grappling because I believe uh, CDF will need to use his grappling, even though there's a lot of fights where he doesn't because people don't usually try to take him down knowing he's of such a high level, like probably top 10 in the UFC at jiu-jitsu. Um, but, he, yeah, he's a high-level uh, black belt. As I said, he has a lot of rear naked chokes, especially old before, earlier in his career when he hadn't developed his striking and was more of a, of a BJJ specialist like uh, like someone like Demi Amaya. Um, but it, most recently he got a rear naked choke against Anthony Pettis, which he wasn't all the way on under the chin, but he it was kind of some half rear naked choke, half neck crank kind of, he was kind of not even really on his back all the way. He was on the side, just, uh, used his, you know, experience with, from rolling with guys who are at levels far beyond what I can understand or what I'm sure Gregor Gillespie can understand in, uh, jujitsu to, get that rear naked choke and finish Anthony Pettis, former champion. Um, 
It's it's the only person I've ever seen able to hold uh, CDF down was Benil Daryush, who Benil's one of the only, probably the only person. Okay, so at lightweight, there's three great jujitsu guys: Charles Oliveira, the Submission King, Benil Daryush, multiple time world champion in jujitsu, and uh, CDF. And they are all of such a high level. It would be really interesting if either of those other two guys ever fought Charles Oliveira. But against Benil, Benil is one of the only guys in the UFC who, who might have a higher level of BJJ than uh, Fajera. But he also has better wrestling. I mean, Fajera doesn't use his wrestling that much. He prefers to strike unless the grappling slash wrestling comes to him. Um, but even then, against... against uh, Darius, you could see how high level. That was such a fun uh, fight. So many scrambles, so many sweeps. He'll use everything in someone who's on their back's arsenal. Uh, push off the fence, use a grand B roll, use the opponent's momentum to sweep him off him, butterflies, uh, set up submission holds. There were multiple times when he set up ankle locks or leg locks on uh, Darius, who which most people, when they're presented with that, will usually not freak out, but, you know, get out pretty quickly, walk away, and let their opponent stand up. You don't want to be anywhere near a leg lock. Right. But what Daryush did, which was really interesting, was he, he walked away, but in a way that made him walking back towards Tejera's head. So he was pulling his leg out while at an angle that took him back towards Vejera. So once he got his leg out, he was able to just fall right back on top of him. And that's that's like a really savvy, high-level thing. You have to have a lot of experience in BJJ to do that. You know, and Gregor Gillespie, he's a great wrestler, but I don't think he has near that experience in high-level MMA scrambles or in rolling in jiu-jitsu to do that kind of thing. If uh, Vejera sets up a submission from the bottom and it's tight... He's either going to have to get out of there or get submitted, I feel like. Um, it, that that was just something that blew my mind. But he, he, he can threaten other submissions, triangles, guillotines, the standard stuff you do from the bottom. But and because of that, in general, he's not worried about takedown defense, which shows in his statistics. His takedown defense is... It's 69%, which is decent, but it's not what you'd expect from someone of such a high level. But because he doesn't really care, like he let <laughs> Rustam Kavalov take him down, uh, I, I believe twice in their fight, and he got right back up both times. One of the times he stopped him from finishing a takedown, held him in the clinch, and set up a huge knee while Kavalov was getting up. Um, but one issue in this fight that I would be worried about is if he does pull guard to you know sell out on a guillotine, it. That's a mistake we see a lot of in the UFC because especially nowadays in modern UFC, most guys can get out of most guillotines, like 90% of guillotines. But right, you know, if right. you are going to have a guy who goes for a guillotine, you'd prefer it to be a guy like Fajero who's up there with, like I mentioned, Daryush and Charlie Olives, Brian Ortega, Demian Maya, Gilbert Burns. Um, one sec, I need a drink of water. Yeah, while you're getting the drink of water, I'll just mention like a – there used to be a standard, like, alpha male did it a lot. A lot of people did it, but there were, there were times when guys had great guillotines and they were uh, considered automatic finishers, but there's so many yeah. people that can work themselves out now that that's definitely not the case anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, you and me have watched so many fights. When we see a guy on the way to getting taken down, or maybe he's half defending the takedown, like he has a chance to get out of it, and then he wraps up the head, and he instead of using the head, like controlling it to stuff the takedown, he controls the head, wraps up what looks like a tight guillotine, and, and drops into the pulling guard. And then the guy on top who, if he's any sort of wrestler... He can usually just pass guard and get out of that, or right. if they if create it, some air and wait and pull yeah. his head out. Guys have learned learned not to panic about it when you get into it. Just remain calm yeah. and uh, do what you're supposed to do. Follow the technique, and yeah, we see guys breaking the guillotine way more often now. It used to be one of the most common submissions up there with like rear naked chokes and and the like. But I've only, we've only seen like. In all 2020, we watched most of the fights in 2020 together. I don't. I only remember like two or three. I remember Damon Jackson versus Mirsad Bektich, but Bektich was kind of tired at that point, and he kept kept going for it. Yeah. Um. um but yeah. But so that could be a negative. Could be a positive. You could end the fight via submission. Um. <clears throat> but yeah. So what I was saying of as far as Benil controlling. Um, Fajera and landing four, I believe, five takedowns. Benil said his personal best for takedowns in that fight with five takedowns. Um, and being able to control him for half of two different rounds, the first and the second. Or maybe like three minutes in the second, a minute and a half in the first, just estimating. Um, he was able to do that. In a way that even though Gregor has a higher level of, you know, traditional wrestling, he doesn't have that MMA wrestling level and that experience and that savvy to do those things to pull out of submissions and still end up on top. And not submissions to submit, submissions to sweep. Diego, they had to set those up to sweep. And yeah, Benil kept going, stayed in incredibly fun scrambles to watch stuff that I can't really describe with words even, and I don't... Gregor has never faced that type of opposition from bottom. And I don't... I, I mean, it, it's a big test. We'll see what he does with it if he gets him down even, which I, I believe at some point, because Fajera keeps his hands high and doesn't worry about the takedown, he will end up on his back, but I believe he should be able to pop back up if not right away with not much damage done. Like, even Benil Daryush, who was able to hold him down, wasn't able to get really any ground and pound off. He had to, it was all he could do to control Fajera on the mat and just stay in top position. Um, so after those first two rounds, though, where he was taken down four times, uh, Safe Sayud had, uh, Fajera make an adjustment of, of, Hey, stop brawling because when you brawl, he shoots reactive double legs on you. And Vahera, credit all credit to him because he adjusted right away. He was, uh, you know, sticking and moving for that round. And he that that's the round he won in that fight because for the first four minutes of that fight, he was winning the striking exchanges by just getting in there, landing a quick combo, moving out of range. Um, he stuffed a couple takedowns there until the last minute of the fight where. You know, he knew he was down two rounds and he needed to finish. He got a bit desperate and did get taken down. Although even then, he reversed it, got on top to land some of his own ground and pound right before the horn. But the final was 29-28, Daryush. Um, so, yeah, all that just... 
it's just a bunch of reasons why I think Fajera can keep from being controlled on the bottom. So that means, I believe, this fight will take place more in a striking realm, which they're, neither of them are elite-level strikers. But Fajera has beaten guys like Habalov and Taisumov and Anthony Pettis in striking realms because he's, he's like, he, the best way to describe him is that he's a zombie. He just keeps coming forward. You can hit him with whatever you want to and he'll barely flinch and just keep walking forward at you. Um, and, and just, and just touching you up. He's not a lot of power. He kind of has a bad technical issue of his back foot kind of dragging instead of planting so he doesn't get maximum power out of his shots, out of his strikes. Um, but he he still he lands a lot of volume and gets a lot of easy decisions with it against high level underrated guys at lightweight, like the aforementioned Tysumov and Havilov. I um, mean, and Jared Gordon, who I rate, the, I think he's now down at featherweight, and he's not a top fifteen fighter. He's a good fighter. Um, uh, had a KO'd him clean with a, a, sh- a short lead hook in the combo. So he and his lead hand is very effective. He, he uses his jab to start most of his combos, which I love it. Check hooks, like the one that KO'd Jared Gordon in combos and encounters. He use, he uses head kicks a lot. Like, um, he caught Rustam Havilov with one that surprised him so bad it knocked either a lot of spit or maybe a tooth out. Couldn't tell. Um, and, and it's really surprising because he he has kind of an awkward stance. Like he leans a bit too forward. He doesn't look like a guy who would be able to get his leg up to hit you with a roundhouse kick or a rear roundhouse that fast. But it works. He also uses teeps sometimes, always to the belly to suck energy out of his opponents. Um, he uses great head movement, unlike uh, Gillespie. Keeps his head off the center line and ducks out of the way of counters preemptively and as he's throwing his own strikes. Um, one thing I don't like is that as a pressure fighter, you have to be cutting cage and he didn't cut cage much in older fights. Maybe he's changed it now. He didn't get much of a chance to show it against Daryush in his uh, most recent fight because they are both fighters who want to go forward and Daryush took him down a couple times. Um, but he's faced adversity in these striking realms too, just like he did against Ayush in the grappling realms and come out on top in his most recent six fight win streak. Uh, Tyson Mob is a really great fighter off of his back foot and has excellent footwork. So he was a problem for, for Fajera there. He dropped Fajera in the first round from a pull counter, but he, which is rare. I mean, I've seen Fajera get hit with everything but the kitchen sink and the only time he ever looked actually hurt was when Dustin Poirier knocked him out. Um, but he, he got dropped. He got right back up. It was like a flash KO. He never looked wobbled or hurt, never lost composure. Um, when he was getting eaten up by leg kicks in the first round, but in the second round, say if Sayud told him, you just need to go forward even more, you know, walk right through those leg kicks, pressure him. So he goes backwards. It's hard to kick when you're going backwards like that. And it, and it worked. He won the second two rounds easily, uh, landing, in the uh, high 30s, I believe. Let me let me actually pull up their stats real quick. Yes, yeah, so uh, Diego Ferreira versus Rustam Habalov. No, not Habalov. Sorry, Taisumov. 
He landed 109 total strikes. In the first round, he only landed 12, the round he lost. But in the second round, he landed 33. And in the third round, he landed a whopping 64. Not just strikes. These are all significant strike numbers. So he just he it shows how great his cardio is, how he picks up pace as the round goes on, and how despite being hurt or appeared to be hurt by being dropped in that first round, he just kept walking right through it. Um, he even kept pace with Anthony Pettis, who's uh, uh, although at this point in his career, Pettis isn't better than someone like Tysonov. He is still a star- sharper striker. Um, he he kept pace pace with Anthony Pettis and all the crazy things he does with kicks and the like until he was able to take him down and submit him. Um, yeah, that, like the only time Tejada has seated the back foot in fights since his Poirier loss was against Benil Dariush. And uh, Gillespie has hardly Benil Dariush as far as his forward pressure in striking. and wrestling, absolutely. He'll, he'll be relentless. But he... In, it, if this fight takes place in the striking realms, as I believe it will for much of the fight because of Fajera's insane level of BJJ. I think uh, Gillespie will have no choice but to seed the back foot, and uh, Fajera will be right where he wants to be, pouring on the pressure and attacking. When he gets hit, he'll keep coming forward like a zombie. And that sums up Carlos Diego Fajera. This is weird because we don't have to... um, but yeah, so the line right now, it's dropped some places to my to plus one fifty, which I still love. I bet it today at plus one fifty five, and if you check uh, best fight odds, you can see that it's still plus one fifty five, uh, I mean plus one fifty six on FanDuel, plus one fifty five on Pinnacle, plus one fifty on. Uh, more common books like Bet Online. Yeah, one fifty eight on Sports Bet. Really? Well, it changed even since I last refreshed this page. Then, yeah, that's worth a bet. Um, let's see. Yeah, one fifty-eight on sports bet. So, well, I bet it at one fifty-five. Not getting. I, I'd love to give it that one fifty-eight. I, I bet it three cents lower than that. But yeah, so, and because this is such value, I believe. Like, I would say there is a chance that um, Gregor Gillespie is able to take him down and control him. But I think, for the most part, Diego Fajera will be able to get up from those, even if he's controlled for a very short period of time. We'll be able to keep from taking damage on the ground. We'll definitely be able to keep from getting submitted. And uh, we'll force it to be a striking battle. And that striking battle is one he should win. We haven't seen Gregor Lesby's cardio tested, at least in striking. I mean, he's, he's been in lots of wrestling matches. I'm sure he has great cardio in those aspects. In, in traditional folk wrestling, but in MMA, it's a, it's a different type of cardio, one that mixes striking, wrestling, uh, chokes, all that good stuff. And so I don't know how his cardio will hold up when he gets to the third round, despite being the younger man. And I know 100% CDF's striking and cardio will hold up very well into the third round and into the fourth and fifth beyond if there was to be one. Um, so yeah, for me, I'm putting two units on this. It's just too good value to pass up even better value than the thug Rose bet. We took at UFC 261, which we put 1.5 units on that at plus 180. I think, uh, 
Fahad should be a decent favorite, like a minus 130, minus 140. So, yeah, two units plus 155. That's two units to win 3.1 units. All right, we'll we'll save it, but this is, seems obvious because I agree with your analysis, so it seems obvious. We'll declare it at the end of part two like we always do the segment, but yeah. it looks like this is going to be the walk and the dog one right here. For sure. I mean, there are a couple other live dogs on the card I haven't finished totally studying, but there may be one or two. Just a little sneak preview for you guys out there. Um, yeah. All right. Um, oh, and, and go ahead. One other thing is I forgot. I totally forgot to mention their respective reaches uh, and just sizes in general. Gregory Gillespie is a bit short. Well, Typology lists him as five seven. I don't believe that's correct. I believe he's five nine. Um, as is. Carlos Fajera, but uh, Gillespie has uh, arms to match his height, more or less, 71-inch reach, while uh, Diego Fajera has a 74-inch reach. His arms, you can see, they hang low, which makes him able to use that lead hand to uh, start combos really well, and that straight right, able to reach out in front of smaller guys. I mean, I believe and he's at a good size. He's been at this body size for a while now. He's a mainstay of this division, Whereas I believe Gregor Gillespie could cut to a featherweight if he wanted to. But that's that's just me from an, an outsider's perspective. It, and it's hard to say. Gregor Gillespie could well have ring rust. He hasn't been in there since November of 2019. Diego Fajera um, was in there uh, once in 2020 only, but then once just two months ago against Benil Dariush. He should be fresh. No ring rust, ready to go. We don't know how these young guys, which uh, Gillespie's 13 and one in MMA, very young considering how many experienced guys there are in this division. We don't know how the ring rust will affect him, which is just yet another reason to to walk the dog, as you say. All right. So uh, for everyone listening, this is going to be a two-parter and. The reason this is our first two-parter is because Val was afraid that these odds may move a lot before fight time, and we wanted to get this to you now because this is where the value is. Yep. Hopefully we can get it up tonight or tomorrow morning. I don't know how much editing you'll have to do. Oh, uh, no. I'm I'm going to do it real down and dirty, and this will be up and available in about 20 minutes after we're done. I'm going to make sure this is up as close to possible, so... If you want to start posting that it'll be up soon and the reasons why it's going to be up immediately. And then tomorrow night we'll be back with the rest of the card. Is there anything else you want to add on this tonight, Val? Um, not really. Just, uh, check us out on Twitter at SigStrikePod, one word. Um, check out at NumbersMMA as always and check out our friends over at Spofi, S-P-O-F-I. Um, we, they, they let us post our podcast in their discord server in the UFC betting channel. So if you want to be in there and see us when we first post the pod, uh, get in there and they do a lot of great stuff with other sports. As well. Right. They got a lot of, a lot of smart guys talking about other sports. I, I hope we end up being the smart guys talking about MMA on there. me too all right right, well that's it for this one yeah we'll see everyone tomorrow with the whole rest of the card we're gonna get this up real quick like i said this is such a good bet that we split the show into two parts to make sure you should get it early so 
pull out your phone and make the bet and make some money. But remember, always use unit parity. Don't go crazy just because we've hit a couple dogs in the past two units. Right, just unit. Two. Right, unit parity. We can. We're recommending what we recommend. If you go outside those guidelines, you're on your own. Yep. All right. All right, Val. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you, man. See ya.